Earning a degree from UCF Online doesn't mean you have to live far away. In fact, in a national survey, three out of four online students said they live within 100 miles of their college. Regardless of where you are or where you want to go, UCF Online offers the in-demand degrees and student support you need to succeed. No wonder U.S. News & World Report ranks UCF among the nation's top 15 online programs for undergrads. Learn more at ucf.edu online. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. We are once again in the bunker. Yeah, no hurricanes. No. It's nice outside, actually. It is. I, you know, obviously, we record these at a different date than they're aired, so mm-hmm. who knows what the weather will be like when this, when this is actually released. But um, a huge cold front has just moved through the majority of the country. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be in Florida. That's right. Where the cold front is yeah. like, ooh, it's below 60. It was, yeah. <laughs> overnight, it was in the 50s, and so we're all freaking out. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been very overcast and blustery. Yeah, I like but it. But I'll, uh, I'll take the temperature. Yeah, it's very pleasant. Yeah. So we'll see. Yes. If so. only we had a hot beverage to help with this cold, cold day. Where's that special effect that shows magic? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's that, Tom? Right in front what's of you. What's this in front of me? Yeah. Ooh, a mm-hmm. hot beverage. <laughs> what am I? What am I drinking in this hot beverage? Well, Tom, we often joke about you know this episode and that one being a very special topcast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think this description is going to be very apropos to this episode because today's coffee is not coffee. It's Tea. I was wondering what this bag was in my coffee. <laughs> Who put stuff in my coffee? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. So this is just a temporary departure, lest our listeners get all you know worried, uh, for thematic purposes and in honor of those subset of listeners who have identified as tea drinkers to us along the way through the years, including our UCF colleague, I might point out, Dr. Jennifer Sumner, who pointedly called me out a <laughs> month or two back and said, how about you feature some tea? I have uh, heard of some people have sort of anecdotally told me that they are it does they happen. prefer the tea over the yeah. coffee while we're while we're doing our yeah, episodes. Yeah, so that's okay. You know, we're equal opportunity. Embrace everybody. Draw a mm-hmm. wider circle. It's good. And you know, full disclosure, we're not trying to step on the toes of our podcasting colleagues from Sunius Wego over at uh, the very fine Tea for Teaching podcast, John Kane and Rebecca Mushter. And if you haven't listened, you really should. Teaforteaching.com. But, you know, it, it's a thematic choice. Now, it's not just that this is any old tea, though, Tom, lest, lest you think that uh, my idiosyncrasies are limited only to coffee. Today's tea is tea with a story. It's a tea innovation, you might even say. My favorite kind of beverage. Mm. This is Yalpon Brothers Lavender Coconut Tea, grown and processed just up the road from our Orlando studios in Edgewater, Florida. And turns out two entrepreneurial brothers with a UCF connection each are repopularizing a forgotten gem from Florida's past. Allegedly the only caffeinated plant native to North America. Now, it was once popular with the indigenous peoples of Florida and the early American colonists, but it fell out of favor, supposedly, due to the efforts by the British Empire who wanted to monopolize the trade of Asian teas. Hmm. Now, however, 
Yalpon Brothers American Tea Company is attempting to change things up by reintroducing to the world commercial tea made from the Yalpon Holly. Look it up, it's a thing. So check out the show notes for even more on the backstory. It really, truly, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little geeky, but it really is fascinating. <laughs> I've really, never heard any of this before. It's, it isn't this intriguing. Yeah. Fascinating. So here's the, I mean, the tea. <laughs> so do you get the connection to today's episode and how do you like it? Um, I like it a lot, actually. I do like tea. Um, and I, I kind of get the connection, I think. Uh-huh. Well, it's not as on the nose as you prefer. I know. Well, because I'm, you know, not very deep and That's not I'm true. a bit shallow. Um, so uh, I get it. Um, we're going in a little different direction. Yes. So we're doing things a little bit differently. Doing differently. We mm-hmm. are not constrained by past conventions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> um, facts are more important than hype or tradition. I'm actually reading that one off the page. That, yeah, well, you know. That you're helping me yeah, with. That's right. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. I get Here, it. Say this, Tom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I'm being spoon fed the right. connection. It's okay. So we do what we can. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the tea is good, right? It is actually very good. Yeah, I do like it. It is different. I don't know if it's the coconut or the lavender or the. The Yalpon. <laughs> yeah, it's good. There's a, there's a bunch of um, – I almost got the fire-roasted warrior to bring in because I thought, you know, that might wow. sound – might be a little bit more like coffee. It's different. I think this is really good. Um, Blue Lagoon is another really good one. And there's, gosh, Florida Chai, and they've got a green, and they've got a black, and there's all kinds of stuff. These, I talked to one of the co-founders, um, actually, when I bought this tea, and uh, he said, hey, come on over. We'll give you a tour. Cool. So we ought to take a field trip or something. Yeah, we'll do an audio log. Yes. So, uh, okay, so you see some connection. So what's that got to do with today's episode, Tom? Well, we're going to be talking about STEM education, science, technology, engineering, math. Mm-hmm. I have heard some people talk about STEAM, yeah. where you add arts in there. Yeah, I like but, that. But um, we're going we're gonna to stay focused on just the, the STEM Although uh, there is some steam it. rising from the cup. There is, yeah. This yeah. has actually stayed warm, so it's, yeah. it's actually quite good on a 58-degree <laughs> day. <laughs> Don't hate us. Yeah, it's actually not even <laughs> We only get now. like two or three days a year where it's really nice outside. <laughs> it's probably 70 right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so why are we talking about STEM, Tom? It's important, Kelvin, and don't they always say that's the future? Uh, we mm. have to have more STEM education. We they need do to, say that. We need to have more STEM graduates, and um, there is some some truth in that. There's definitely a, a dearth of um, of graduates to fill all the jobs that right. are out there in STEM and science and tech, engineering and math. Um, but uh, but there. It has been in some cases, especially for us here, a bit of the last mile mm-hmm. for online and yeah. digital education. Yeah. Yeah. We talked on about that in passing, I think, back in episode 35, blending our whole our way to a whole new level of student success, mm-hmm. the last mile thing we talked about there. Yeah, I agree. Um, we certainly hear that STEM has done well in digital contexts at some institutions, but I don't know about you. When I talk to colleagues far and wide, generally, the vibe I hear is, oh, yeah, right, STEM. Yeah, I think it has its own unique set of challenges. I mean, just like any discipline, but it, it's particular, I think, in in the world of STEM. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I do think that maybe some schools are ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. I know they are. Um, when I think of, you know, schools that are have a particular 
I don't know, technology or polytechnic sort of focus. And right. this, that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be they tend to be kind of more on the cutting edge. Um, but then there are other schools that um, that I think are still struggling with it and know that they want to get into this space. I had a, a great conversation with a former Florida colleague, uh, Jennifer Viloff, mm-hmm. who's now at the Colorado School of Mines, and oh, you yeah, know, right. she's working uh, through these issues right now herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a very you know well regarded um, you know technology based school. Yeah. So we thought we might take a few minutes to explore, at least from our vantage point as online education people why online and blended might not be as warmly embraced in the STEM disciplines. Now, that's a, that's a broad generalization, right? It is. And these are just our view. This is just a conversation. These are just our views. <laughs> and they might reflect misperceptions from non-STEM folks. Neither of us has, uh, it's the last time I checked, a STEM background, uh, per se. <laughs> I definitely do not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what do we know? What do we know from STEM? Uh, and we might Maybe it would be appropriate if we can find a, a good STEM colleague or two to come in and kind of reflect the counter perspective. Maybe we'll do that. But So this is just us from kind of the online and blended uh, world, kind of talking about what we've perceived, about why there might be a little bit of a disconnect and what we might be able to do about it. Does that sound all right? Super de duper. Yeah. So how do you want to kick this? Kick this into gear. Well, um, and you've jotted down a couple of notes mm-hmm. that maybe maybe we can use as conversation points. And, and the first one is that, you know, may, maybe it's us. You know, <laughs> that's right. Maybe it is. <laughs> it's not me. It's you. Yes. It's you, not me. That's right. Um, so, as I mentioned, you know, this this has been the last mile for us. We've been we've had a long history of online learning in in social sciences, yes. in the arts, yes. in, um, in the humanities. Yes. Um, but when you get, to, you get to some of the natural sciences and engineering, while we do have some programs, it, it, they haven't been as systemic yeah. and as enterprise as, um, as some of those other areas. So um, <laughs> maybe that's just our issue. Maybe that's a particular cultural issue here. Uh, there have been departmental leaders in the past here, I would say it's much more in the past than it is now, who were under the impression that if you're not pouring chemicals on the bench, mm-hmm. or if you're not, you know, whatever, <laughs> in a, like an engineering lab, screwing something into something else, right. um, then it doesn't count. Right. Uh, and I think that's changed a lot, but we're still not all the way where I would like it to be. Um, and, and maybe I should I should maybe pause. I said this yesterday in a meeting, uh, a committee meeting of the board of trustees, that I I may have digital learning in my title, <laughs> but I'll be the first one to say that not everything should be online. Yeah, sure. Yet having said that, a lot more can probably be online than most people think. I think that's true. Particularly our our colleagues in the STEM disciplines. And I don't know. I'll go out on a limb and say. I don't know that I've run across anything that couldn't benefit from a from well-designed blended approach. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, wh- where we typically hear objections is, yeah, but there's a lab. That's, um, right. that's right. And like, okay, I get it. Um, there are solutions to that. Um, whether it's a virtual lab, mm-hmm. if you're if you're more concerned about concepts than you are about actual psychomotor skills. Virtual labs can be very effective, mm-hmm. and you don't have all the waste of chemicals, and uh, you, you're not using up lab time for uh, non-majors um, where you would want to have the majors, you know, the ones 
spending the most time actually in the lab learning the skills you need to learn. Um, there are virtual labs uh, that um, that are that are highly um, effective and. Um, for those that are purely distance programs, there are like kitchen countertop, yeah. you know, mail order labs that that can be customized to fit whatever you need. You can have a yeah. whole fetal pig sent home that you can. I mean, those those have existed in some form from like the as long as I can remember. Yeah, in online yeah, education. that's not new, right? And I and I'll say it's not something we do because no? we currently don't have an like an undergraduate program in biology online. Right. So that's, that's right. just a choice that we've that we've made. I do hear from some colleagues. In fact, recently I was talking to some colleagues in the state and. Um, they said that, uh, well, one strategy is to sort of separate out uh, the truly lab component, do that face-to-face, and, uh, and do, do the, the rest of the content uh, online. Kind of the, I guess you could, I guess depending on how you do it, you could, uh, you could say that's kind of a blended approach. I don't think it passes the distant student litmus test that we've talked about uh, before, no, though. I mean, if you're still requiring somebody to come into a lab um, at a certain time, that's, you know, right. that's that's more of a blended approach. Yeah. Um, but what you can do is significantly reduce the amount of time that they're in the lab mm-hmm. by preparing them online, by setting all of that knowledge, um, you know, kind of the knowledge prerequisites that you would have to have before you come into the lab. And then you can kind of focus on the things that can only be done in person, whether that is teaching a psychomotor skill or if you did want to actually pour chemicals together or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you can make your your lab time much more efficient, which is typically a a bottleneck. I know it is here. Um, lab time, lab space is a limiter for some of these programs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, you want to take the next one? Uh, sure. I I think um, I certainly have had this perspective. Maybe even going back to when I first got into online higher ed twenty one years ago. Who's counting? Yeah, uh, me. Um, and I got this message, whether it was intended or not, the message I remember hearing um, when I started in this work was uh, the STEM folks, like those folks just uh, like and privilege the talking head and the hairy hand. The, the document camera hairy hand. Yes, yeah, and yeah. the zoom up, let me write on the chalkboard or the whiteboard, yep. marker board, whatever. Yep. And... Um, you know, I don't know. Sometimes maybe we're too quick to believe our own press about the efficacy of online learning generally and not really thinking about the needs of STEM faculty on their own terms because it's easy to write that off as just being lecture-centric or lecture-privileging, right? And we in online education, especially from the early days, you know, we talk about social constructivism and active learning and hearing from everybody. Everybody gets a voice and, mm-hmm. and we kind of eschew that, that uh, instructivist, uh, some might say, reception learning kinds of, uh, kinds of things. And, and so we write them off and that's not fair. Now, yeah. more recently, we've got you know, the ability to do some pretty good things with lecture online, video lecture capture platforms and so forth, but maybe yeah. that's one of the reasons there's a disconnect. Well, and I would say that as long as the the choice of doing a lecture online is informed and intentional, and not just because you can't think of anything else to do, <laughs> um, then it's a different story. Yeah, Be- because some, like if you think about engineering or math, 
where you're you're building a formula or a problem set mm-hmm. over a, a multiple lines, and part of what you're instructing is the process. Mm-hmm. Um, Video is really effective for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be really expensive to produce a bunch of custom animations for something like that, where you could be really effective in just having somebody write it out and narrate it. Uh, think about Khan Academy. Those are so simple, mm-hmm. but they're very effective. What I would say is that don't just um, don't just default to to what's always been done. What right. we've been seeing here, I'm thinking about in engineering and in, like in an accounting class where some of the faculty have started uh, recording those kinds of lectures in the li- in the lightboard studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, if you're not familiar with what a lightboard is, most of you probably are who's listening to this. Um, it, it's a way of writing on a piece of glass that's illuminated so that the, the marker shows up. And then uh, we're able to flip the image, the camera, so it looks like the faculty member is writing backwards through the whole thing. It's really quite clever. But... Humanizing in a sense because you are looking forward instead of that right. talking head. And you can see the faculty hand. member's face. Yeah. You can see their expression. They can point to things as they're writing them. Um, and, and students love it. And the yeah. faculty sort of love it. So um, that that's a different way of doing the same kind of a STEM-based lecture yeah. um, that I think seems to be working really well for us right now. Yeah, I think we could probably put up a few more of those lightboard studio rooms and keep them filled, I would imagine. We have a proposal, <laughs> if funded, to do just that. Yeah. There we, go. we could just send this episode out to everybody on that committee and they, That's could, right. <laughs> they could choose to say to say yes. And we'll put a link to some lightboard videos in the show notes, just in case, yeah. odd chance, somebody hasn't seen them. I'm sure you have, but they're I'm beautiful. I'm thinking also, not just of STEM, too. I mean, I know this is, we're talking about STEM, but um, I'm thinking about a, our colleague, uh, Joyce Noda, yeah. in a college of education and she does um, uh, kind of phonetics and language instruction. And um, she has been, she has effectively used lecture capture to, to teach phonetics to students. Um, so it, it's really, it's an instruction, intentional instructional choice. And if it's used like that, I think it's, it's different than just, hey, set up your camera because I'm going to do what I always have done, which is just lecture and, and write on this board. Mm-hmm. I did like the way you set that up, though, because I think it's reflective of, I can recall a conversation uh, that you and I both were part of with a colleague um, from um, our engineering college here, where he said, much like you did, it's about the process of working problems. It's not, it's not about uh, being didactic about presenting content. It's about, here, let me, let me model for you the, the process. Let me involve you in the process. So I do wonder if we've done enough with alternative ways of understanding that kind of process work, whether that's uh, simulation mm-hmm. process or adaptive or AI or something. That might be additional um, uh, innovations that might help folks get on board. Yeah, and that's been that's been a perennial sort of complaint from STEM faculty in, in adopting digital tools, and I, I sympathize. When, when part of what they're grading is show your work, yeah. as opposed to some machine graded, is it A, B, C, or D? Right. Um, that, that can be difficult, um, yeah. whether it's, you know, using LaTeX or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, to, mm-hmm. to record your, uh, your, your formulas. Um, it's not quite the same as writing stuff down on a piece of paper and, and showing it to your professor. And they'll say, oh, here in step three, you, you missed this. And that's why it's wrong. But otherwise, you got it, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What else we got? 
So we talked about hands-on laboratories. Yeah, that did. was one that, that you had listed. Um, yeah. <laughs> this one, I think we're going to tread into some dangerous <laughs> waters. But um, I think there is some element of truth to it that s- the STEM disciplines um, can, can be, by their very nature, somewhat uh, conservative mm. in the way they approach change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you've characterized this in your notes as due to the high stakes nature of the fields, which I think mm-hmm. is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they don't want to um, take, you know, risks. <laughs> Let's just take engineering. Yeah. Because um, that bridge is going to fall That's down. That's exactly right. You, <laughs> you don't know? want that. Yeah. And Bridges I think of, fall, people die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't want that. So do you want to talk uh, about, you know, some of the med school admissions discussions we've been having here in the state of Florida? Yeah, I mean, we we were both in the room for one of those just being spectators. It was fascinating. And I guess I would say from the outside looking in that um, there seems to be a belief. I think it's, it's, there's several concepts intertwined, but there does seem to be a belief that there are important interpersonal skills, teamwork, empathy. And you think from like a med school perspective, bedside manner is like still a, an idiom. And there's a belief that those are more easily caught, one might say, than taught in a face-to-face environment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're there, and and so you're just gonna somehow by osmosis. They couldn't, the folks in the room couldn't really articulate exactly how the magic happened, but yeah. seemed like because you were face-to-face, yeah. it was gonna happen. And you, as an instructor, you are observing whether student Tom really can connect with peers or not. But there's a belief that if you were technology mediated, that you know, that wouldn't happen because you're interacting with a with a device and not a human, even though you're interacting with a human. I thought it was an device. interesting premise. Yes. And, <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and you know, it's the 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 catalyst for this was just an examination across the state university system in Florida that has medical schools, yeah. looking at admission requirements yeah. and you know how many of the of the different med schools. Um, limit the uh, the kinds of, of online courses that are taken at the undergraduate level um, in your med school application. Yeah. And and it was, you know, it wasn't unanimous across the board. There were variations. Right. And, and, and most of the schools sort of came down and said it's a case-by-case basis. Yeah. It depends. It depends, yeah. right? But I think the general sense, though, was that there are some kinds of courses that should be done face-to-face, particularly those with a lab. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm going to have a hard time arguing with that um, for somebody who's going to be a doctor, right? Right, a medical doctor. Sure. Um, but to the point you just made, yes, about the learning interpersonal skills from yes. being in a face-to-face environment, yes. And if and if most of your classes are taught by some professor whose back is to you, writing on the board, <laughs> and you're in a lecture hall somewhere, I don't get it. Yeah, you know, I have a hard time buying that piece. Yeah, I, I agree. And then there was some, like you know, a, a lot of programs have these kind of these key courses that pick a term, right? Weed out, yeah. gateway, something, mm-hmm. and that well, you know, those courses especially need to be face to face because they've got to be. I, I swear, words like this came out of somebody's mouth, pure. <laughs> I don't remember that. Pristine. I believe. I wrote it down in my in my notes because I'm like. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. So face to face, pure face to face. Got to keep that one. Got to keep that one pristine. And then there's a little bit of uh, we've talked about this before. A little bit of privileging of elite schools as yeah. the gold standard, right? Yeah. And whatever they do, we all need to do. 
I swear, even in the room, I'm trying not to, you know, be inappropriate, but there was a little bit of, of um, shibboleth right, with like, well, I remember Dr. So-and-so yeah. at prestigious Ivy League school here. Oh, yes. yes. Well, yes. yeah. And then he went on to other prestigious Ivy League school there. And that's yeah. where I'm, you know, there's a little yeah. bit of that. Yeah. There was a lot of credential <laughs> flourishing in the room. And well there were said. some well-credentialed people in there. No kidding. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I get it. Uh, I think I think it's just a matter of time. As more and more students earn an, a degree through online coursework and are are able to perform as well as students <laughs> in those medical classes who did not earn a degree yeah. online. Um, I think some of that some of that stigma will start to wear off, just like it, it kind of has uh, started in just the general online education world, let alone applying to medical schools. Well, I think to your point, right? Uh, zooming in on that for a second, that that experience you've just talked about should hopefully give rise to data. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, that's that's what the schools were sort of asked for at mm-hmm. the Board of Governors meeting I attended. Um, uh, that was shortly after the meeting mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was on our campus. Um, and so that I think they're going to collect some of that data yeah. and, and just see. And, you know, good for them. They're, they're scientists. <laughs> but it does sort of also el- elicit the consideration of, well, hmm, what data would be valued or trusted if, People are skeptical, right? Yeah. Because uh, I think you could, yeah. You know, don't confuse me with the the data because those aren't those aren't good data. That's not real research. Or, <laughs> or yeah, I know that's what that says, but I know what I've seen. Even even scientists some can be uh, uh, subject to that kind of folly as well. I think. Well, I mean that's true, and I um I, I was mentioning to you before we hit record here that uh, that when when I'm in, when I encounter a, a skeptical faculty member, particularly somebody in the sciences, I'm thinking of, a, of an encounter I had maybe a year ago with a with a chemistry professor, who was who was questioning, who was a skeptic of online mm-hmm, learning. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it that way. And I uh, put him in touch with uh, Chuck Jubin and Patsy Moskal mm-hmm. and and had them share their data. You know, here's yeah, what sure. we've learned, and here 20 are plus years. 20 plus years of data, and. Um, the good news is scientists respond well to data. Yeah. They're scientists. Mm-hmm. They want empirical evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that completely convinced him, though, <laughs> um, because I don't know if it, it met his criteria for a, you know, <laughs> a yeah. double-blind sure. you know, study, That's right. whatever he was hoping for. But he was very polite about it, and he appreciated the effort, and I, I think it helped. I don't know if he's going to be you know, first in line to teach online. Right. But... Um, but you know, every day we have a conversation like that, and you sort of wear them down, and you and you get a couple of champions in the department, and they see, hey, the world didn't stop rotating. And offer to collect data that yeah, they're a part of, and absolutely, yeah. I, in fact, I presented some data yesterday to the to the uh, board of trustees, and um, in it, uh, we were able to show that this course redesign initiative that we're doing. Um, some of the initial results coming out of our adaptive learning courses, the vast majority of our adaptive learning courses, uh, all but one, I think, showed an improvement. That's good. Since the last time it was taught. It was actually remarkable. When you look at the adaptive courses versus the non-adaptive courses that had some intervention, um, it was almost 90% of the adaptive courses had uh, an improvement, and it was like 60% of the non-adaptive courses that had Sometimes you try new stuff and it doesn't work. Right. Or even if it, it does work, it doesn't work for the first two semesters you try right. it. You know, you got to get good at it first. So I agree. Remarkable. Yeah. I'll give a plug here, too, um, also to our colleague Katie Linder's 
efficacy database. If you don't know that work uh, at Oregon State, Google it. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, that can be useful in people and dealing with folks who are questioning the efficacy of online as well. I know our tea is dwindling, although yeah. I will another shout out to our, our Yalpan Holly. So I'm told that you can continue to refresh this tea with new hot water because it lacks tannins. And so it doesn't get bitter or overbrewed. Really? Yeah. All right, I'll take your word for it. I'm refreshing right now. So I got a thermos speak. full of hot water. Okay. It's going to taste good. a little bit like coffee, probably, because that's all I put in it usually. <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, you ready to kind of land this plane? I think so. I, maybe maybe we'll just address one of the questions you kind of put here to, to yeah. kind of close this up, which is, can we really move the needle in higher ed and and mm-hmm. use online learning to move that needle? Without including STEM, yeah, and I and I think the short answer is probably not. Right, you know, we, given we the criticality of STEM, yeah, given the criticality, mm-hmm. and maybe not everything is is a hundred percent online right. where you deliver it from a thousand miles away. But I think STEM has got to be part of the ecosystem here. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. So let me see if I can summarize and put our proverbial bow on it. So online and blended STEM courses aren't mainstream for all of us just quite yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking through common concerns from STEM disciplines may help us find new opportunities to work together and innovate in course and program design. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds like a good thing to do. Yes, I'm in favor of innovation and working together and improvement. Yes, I like that. Well, before we uh, sign off, We'd like to self-servingly plug our own podcast periodically, but (laughs) we we do it through the words of others. So a cryptically screen-named listener uh, not long ago posted the following review of TopCast on Apple Podcasts. Said listener said, I quote, a very informative podcast for anyone in any area of online education. Quick, informative, and Delightful. I like the delightful word. Delightful. Nice. Delightful. I'll take that all day long. So screen name listener SC1891. Thank you so much. Thank you, SC1891. <laughs> it sounds like a George Lucas movie. <laughs> THX 1190. 1181? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Whatever it is. I should know that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there it is. Well, I guess that's about it. We can finish off the tea once the recording's over. Uh, you won't be so jittery. It's less caffeine than coffee, <laughs> so that's that's good. That is good. So until next time for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya. See ya.